Welcome to AEM Early Access, a podcast of the Society for Academic Emergency Medicine and the Academic Emergency Medicine Journal. I'm Dr. Gita Pensa, and here's what we've got for you today. Amiodarone and lidocaine have not been shown to have a clear survival benefit compared to placebo for out-of-hospital cardiac arrest. However, randomized trials may have been impacted by delayed administration of the study drugs. So today we're talking to Dr. Joshua Lupton, first author on a new AEM paper entitled Survival by Time to Administration of Amiodarone, Lidocaine, or Placebo in Shock Refractory Out-of-Hospital Cardiac Arrest. Joshua Lupton is a cardiac arrest survivor himself, an emergency physician, and a researcher who studies ways to improve treatment and increase survival for patients suffering out-of-hospital cardiac arrest. After medical school at Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine, Dr. Lupton completed his residency in emergency medicine and a fellowship in emergency care research at Oregon Health and Science University. Dr. Lupton coordinates the Portland Cardiac Arrest Epidemiologic Registry, working closely with regional emergency medical services agencies and hospitals. We're so excited to talk to him today about this paper. Don't forget to read the full text of this article, available open access from the publisher for a limited time. Dr. Lupton, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for coming to talk about this paper with us. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. All right, so let's start off with a little bit of background. We are aware that early intervention in cardiac arrest is our best chance at uh, return of spontaneous circulation or ROSC and recovery. And we know that early defibrillation saves lives and saves brains. Um, But the the role of antiarrhythmics, which we are going to talk about, has not been quite as certain. Can you give us a little bit of background on the data preceding your paper? Yeah, of course. So there's been several studies that have looked at antiarrhythmics for cardiac arrest, most of them in out-of-hospital cardiac arrest, at least the trials. And so in uh, 99, there was a uh, amiodarone compared to lidocaine study. In 2002, an amiodarone compared to placebo pilot trial, and then the larger ALPS study in 2006. What all of these looked at um, were giving antiarrhythmics, regardless of the time and really regardless of the route that they were given, compared to either uh, lidocaine and amiodarone to each other or to placebo. And what they saw was a suggestion of greater rates of return of circulation at the time of hospital arrival, survival to admission, and then in the trial powered for survival to discharge. ALPS in 2016, there was you know a p-value of 0.08, and and though an absolute difference in survival was not significant. Mm-hmm. And part of our thought in thinking of that paper and in any study of cardiac arrest is that it can be difficult in a trial to enroll and open a blinded kit and administer it in a timely fashion. And so our question really was wondering, well, what, what was there any potential for bias in these trials by waiting to enroll so many patients until very late in their resuscitation? And I think the easiest analogy would be you know, something that everyone would agree, defibrillation clearly has a benefit in cardiac arrest without question. But if you waited to randomize someone to defibrillation until an hour into their cardiac arrest compared to no defibrillation, you may have difficulty seeing a benefit because so few patients are going to do well. And so that's sort of an extreme example, but that was kind of some of our background thinking into why perhaps when you think of these trials in cardiac arrest, we should pay attention to the timing of administration or timing of randomization of whatever the exposure is. 
So um, as you're mentioning, this is a secondary analysis of the ALPS trial, which was published in the New England Journal of Medicine in 2016. Um, is there any more detail you'd like to give us about that trial? Yeah, of course. So ALPS is uh, sort of short for amiodarone lidocaine or placebo study. And it was a uh, double-blind randomized controlled trial in the pre-hospital setting for patients with uh, cardiac arrest and refractory shockable rhythms. And so refractory uh, shockable rhythms were defined in this study as patients who required more than one EMS defibrillation attempt. And so they enrolled both those with initial shockable rhythms and secondary shockable rhythms, but their primary pre-planned analysis and the same for our paper were those with initial shockable rhythms. And they uh, included patients even if they received only two shocks, if that makes sense. And so when you think of our current ACLS or AHA algorithm, the antiarrhythmics are given after the third shock. But in ALPS, patients were eligible as soon as they failed a single shock, right? So any patient requiring two or more shocks would be eligible to receive uh, the study drug. And they got either amiodarone, lidocaine, or placebo, and it was randomized at an individual level, and again, double blind. Okay. And so you started to get into this, uh, what prompted you to design this new study and the questions you were hoping to answer with that secondary analysis? Yeah. So we were thinking, you know, I, I think there's sort of a, of a, a gut way of us thinking about, you know, looking into this, which was this idea that for patients who show up to say your emergency department, or if you're treating them with EMS and they have stable VTAC, right? They've got a pulse, but they're in VTAC. You're mm-hmm. much more likely to reach for an antiarrhythmic as a, a treatment of choice if they're stable than you would reach for, say, a milligram of epinephrine, right? And so our thought was, well, why are we waiting if, if we have access and we have the ability and we're prioritizing defibrillation and CPR appropriately, you know, is there a reason to wait to give antiarrhythmics or is there potentially um, you know, an earlier is better sort of effect? So what we wanted to do was both see if you remove those late administrations from the trial, well, what was the difference compared to placebo given similarly early? Um, and then we wanted to also try to take a look, is there a specific cut point where, um, you know, after a certain period of time, there's futility or a certain period of time too early is bad because maybe it distracts from CPR or defibrillation, those sorts of interventions. And so we really wanted to do sort of a comprehensive look of how the role of time to drug in ALPS uh, impacted the results. Okay. So discussing early administration, what time cutoff would be defined as early administration in this study? And how did, how did you decide on that time? Yeah. So for our study, we used eight minutes from when an ALS capable unit sort of arrived on scene. And so the reason we chose that, um, it was sort of a priori, meaning it was prior to when we sort of applied to the NHLDI for this data set, which is sort of a publicly available data set if you apply for a reasonable protocol and go through your IRB to be exempt for using the data. Mm-hmm. And we chose eight minutes because we thought, well, if they arrive on scene at minute um, zero, you know, we want to allow a certain wiggle room to arrive at the patient and give that first defibrillation. We then wanted to be sure that we included enough sort of two-minute time intervals uh, for rhythm checks so that they could ultimately have, say, three shocks and then a full two minutes, which would get you to that eight-minute period to administer that antiarrhythmic, which would really be in line with sort of the optimal best-case scenario timing of our current uh, AHA and ACLS algorithm. We also knew from the published uh, New England Journal uh, time to administration and the standard deviation 
And we sort of anticipated that would include about somewhere between a quarter and a third of patients. So, you know, we didn't want to include a number of everyone that got it within four minutes because probably only a couple of patients would fit in that category. And so it sort of had that nice balance between power to look at what we wanted to look at um, and a theoretical reason why it might be sort of in that optimal care window. Okay, that makes sense. Uh, so tell us a little bit more about your study design and your methods. Yeah, so our uh, so it was a secondary analysis of this pre-existing randomized trial data. And our main comparators were still across those double-blind randomized arms. And we took advantage of that because there in cardiac arrest research is this fear of something called the resuscitation time bias, which is that if you look at any given intervention, an intervention done earlier compared to the same intervention being done later, it's going to look like there's a better outcome if it's done earlier, even if it's placebo. And that's really hard to control for. And part of that is because something given later, by definition, they have to be in arrest later if it's an intra-arrest intervention. So they're generally in arrest longer, as you can uh, imagine. So what we wanted to do is take a look at patients that um, got the drugs within that eight-minute window, compare across the placebo arm, so amiodarone to placebo, lidocaine to placebo, And we wanted to look at all patients who were still in arrest at the time of their drug administration, right? And so we wanted to exclude someone if they got the drug late, but that's because they got, say, Roskin uh, after a first defibrillation and then re-arrested 25 minutes later en route to the hospital and have two or three shocks, got aneurysmics then, right? So our overall um, total was about uh, just over 2,800 patients. And those were uh, patients with shockable initial rhythms, just like the parent study, who received the randomized study drug and received it within eight minutes of that uh, arrival of ALS on scene without having any sort of period of ROSC before getting the study drug. And our main outcome were the similar main outcomes from the parent study. So survival to discharge, but we also looked at their neurologic survival and intermediate outcomes of ROSC and survival to admission. All right. So what were some of the, what were some of the confounders that you needed to adjust for? Yeah, so we uh, overall in our study used multiple mutation to account for some of the missing data that occurs in EMS studies, though our complete case analysis had the similar uh, results overall. And then as far as confounders, we really wanted to be careful to adjust for things that were uh, could potentially impact the time of when these drugs were delivered, but were not on the causal pathway, of, meaning really occurring downstream of when the study drug would be given. So we adjusted for things like age, sex, and arrest location. So whether it was public or private, if the arrest was witnessed or not, if bystanders did uh, defibrillation or CPR, and then uh, the route of drug administration, which we can talk about a little bit more, whether that should be adjusted for or, or really looked at separately. And then we looked at other timing variables, right? So time to EMS giving uh, initial vascular access or epinephrine or their first defibrillation to assure that that wasn't impacting uh, the results. And the fear there would be that, you know, if they give the antiarrhythmic earlier, are they just doing all of their interventions earlier? I'll say that it's really important to note that even though this is a secondary analysis of a randomized trial, which really removes a lot of the benefit of that, it, it's a little bit different than a pure observational study because the patients inherently were, were still looking through a double-blind randomized arm. So we're still looking across amiodarone to placebo. So the hope would be that while it's necessary to adjust for these, that it wouldn't make a major impact on the on the outcomes if the parent randomization was as good as we as we imagine. All right. So it looks like there were two thousand eight hundred and two patients meeting inclusion criteria, 
with about a third in that early administration group and roughly two thirds in the late group. And you were looking at survival to hospital admission, hospital discharge, and functional survival to discharge. So what did you find regarding lidocaine and amiodarone early administration? Yeah. So what we saw is that, you know, just looking at the the numbers themselves prior to adjustment in the early group, there was really a significantly higher number of survivors, whether it be to admission, to discharge, or with a good functional outcome when the drugs were given early, right? So when patients, regardless of where they were randomized, got it within eight minutes, those that happened to get amiodarone had about uh, 32% survival with a good neurologic outcome compared to 23%, right? So a pretty significant absolute difference. And when the drugs were given late, there was more or less no differences across the, the groups. So that sort of unadjusted look really fit with our, our hypothesis that, you know, after a certain period of time in a resuscitation, even what could be an infective intervention may not show a difference compared to placebo if they've been in arrest just too long. When we looked in our adjusted analysis, we, we essentially saw a, a similar set of results. And by that, I mean, we saw significantly increased adjusted odds of a favorable neurologic outcome, survival to discharge, um, or uh, survival to admission for those that got amiodarone compared to, compared to placebo. We didn't really see that for lidocaine at all, right? And so even our unadjusted or adjusted outcomes when lidocaine was given early compared to uh, uh, placebo similarly given early, there weren't these significant benefits. Um, and again, nothing really had a good benefit in terms of survival to discharge or uh, survival with a favorable neurologic outcome. There were no real associations in our unadjusted or adjusted analysis uh, for the drugs compared to placebo. And so I think the overall sort of take home was that it seemed like amiodarone, particularly if given early, um, had significantly greater odds for favorable outcomes compared to placebo. Okay. So you were alluding to this before, how might the efficacy of amiodarone be affected by how it's given, whether it's IV or IO, um, in an ALP study and, and in this study's findings? Yeah. So when we um, looked back to the original ALPS publication, what you'll see is that about uh, a quarter of the route of administrations of study drugs were intraosseous. When you look to the earlier trials that informed the potential effect size of, of ALPS and why they enrolled the number of patients they did, they were based on studies in the 90s and early 2000s that generally had um, almost exclusively intravenous access. And so amiodarone and lidocaine are both fairly lipophilic compounds. There's you know, certainly lidocaine toxicity could be treated by even intralipid. And the bone marrow space is particularly fatty and has a lot of lipids. And so our thought was, well, you know, is there a chance that these drugs are simply less bioavailable or sequestered when given through an intraosseous space? And so we did an analysis back in 2020 that was published in circulation looking at uh, how the results of this trial would change if you only looked at those that got it intravenously or only those that got it intraosseously, so stratifying it by route. And what we found was there were no differences when it was given intraosseously from drug to placebo. And then regardless of time to administration, those that got it intravenously had significantly better survival to discharge than those that got it uh, the placebo intravenously, if that makes sense. And so the suggestion was that perhaps these drugs shouldn't assume that they have equal efficacy by route of administration. And if that's the case, then we wanted to be sure in our analysis to at least take a look at it by route. The reason it's also particularly important is that if our suggestion is that maybe earlier is better, 
as we know, you know, an intraosseous route is easier to place and generally more reliable. And so if you tell someone to that maybe earlier is better, then a downside might be that they then are more likely to give it through an intraosseous route. And if that's less efficacious, then you sort of may lose any potential benefit. Now, all this would need to be studied in the future, but we wanted to be sure to take a look in our paper. So what should we take away from these findings and how are you incorporating this into future studies or ongoing studies? Yeah, I, I think like any secondary analysis, it's it's a hypothesis generating and sort of uh, made to, to suggest avenues to be studied in more high quality, uh, whether that be prospective or randomized uh, studies. And so I think the main takeaways um, for someone reading this is to realize that the this sort of evidence for the timing of when we give antiarrhythmics in our AHA ACLS algorithm is, is not based on some evidence of harm if it is given earlier, if that makes sense. It's based sort of on, on when we've when it's been given in trials and when the median time was for that. And so what we show here is that perhaps earlier is better, and there may be some evidence that there's an association with a better outcome. And so future studies should look at this, not only prospectively, but maybe if we rearrange when it's given in an algorithm, could that help to improve the timing to drug and outcomes for patients? All of that has to be taken into account again, which is what is the route of administration and how does that interplay with time? And so our studies that we're trying to do uh, here in our, our Portland region are really looking at this prospectively of when are antiarrhythmics given? How does route play into that? And is there an association in a prospective way with earlier administration um, and better outcomes when route is taken into account? So that's coming up. And is there anything else coming next? That's probably the next uh, thing that that our group is working on. I, I think there are several trials that are ongoing, uh, that, you know, we have no affiliation with that are looking at the optimal route of access, which has not been studied in a randomized way. And sort of independent of antiarrhythmics, um, it'll be interesting to see the results of those trials because the biggest difference in shockable and non-shockable rhythms are the administration of antiarrhythmics. And so should those trials show a particular uh, benefit to intravenous access for only those that have shockable rhythms, whereas there may be no difference for non-shockable rhythms, one mechanism of that would be these uh, antiarrhythmic efficacy. So it'll be interesting for this work to be looked at in the context of those new trials that are coming out. Um, and that may help to also inform sort of future studies. Uh, because before we spend the time and, and energy and money in doing a trial reordering when antiarrhythmics are given, you know, we really have to get a better sense of, well, what is the best access to do? Um, because if we do a trial of antiarrhythmics and we only use intraosseous access, well, there's a lot of evidence to suggest that that may not have a clear benefit, right? So we'll, we'll see. There's a few more, few more uh, steps before this is ready to, to change practice, but we're trying to look into it. Awesome. Thank you so much, Dr. Lupton, for coming and talking to us about this. And I encourage everyone to download and read the original paper. And thanks again. I appreciate it. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks for listening to this month's AEM Early Access. Subscribe to this podcast on iTunes at AEM Early Access, all one word. Don't forget to read the full text of this article, available open access from the Academic Emergency Medicine Journal for a limited time. Today's music is by Scott Holmes. I'm Gita Pensa, and we'll see you next time.